So if you weren't aware or if you don't keep track of these kind of things, or if life just got really fast, uh, you're now in the loop that today marks the beginning of Holy Week. One week from today, we will gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Easter is right around the corner. And what we're going to do this morning is to do our best to prepare our minds and our hearts for the reality, the truth of what took place in Jesus' life throughout that week. And so we call this day Palm Sunday. I'm going to read John chapter 12, starting in the 12th verse. I'm going to go down through verse 19. But before I read John chapter 12, I just want to say a couple things about this particular event in the life of Jesus. One, it is marked and recorded for us in all four of the Gospels. So you might know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they don't always include all of the same detail or the same events in Jesus' life, but this is one of the few that is marked in each of those Gospels. Furthermore, this particular moment in Jesus' life as he enters into Jerusalem is slowed down for us in a kind of detail that we often don't get in the rest of his ministry. For instance, I'm about to read in John chapter 12, verse 12, this day when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, and what happens is there becomes a ticking clock right here in the 12th verse of John chapter 12, and the rest of this whole book, all of John's narrative, takes the rest of his writing for one week. So think about Jesus' life up through 33 years, that's the first 12 chapters of the book of the Gospel of John. Then the next nine chapters through to the end, 12 through to the end, all dedicated to one week in Jesus' life. This week, a week of Jesus coming in to be triumphant, to rule, to reign, starts here in John chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 12 down through 19, and then we'll consider it together. This is John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the, whole, the world has gone after him. Look, the world has gone after him. This is a moment in Scripture where the Pharisees knew better, spoke more truly, and were insightful far beyond the actual disciples of Jesus. The Pharisees were starting to panic because they realized something about Jesus that many of them in the city and many of us fail to see. As we consider this passage, or as we think about Palm Sunday and what it means and how do we remember Jesus in these days, I'm going to use a very uh, simple way to talk about it. This is an introduction, but in order to get at the idea that Jesus is a king, and it's interesting because 
He's about to humble himself, and he's about to essentially, in a worldly sense, lose all week long. He's going to lose. His friends are going to betray him. He's going to pray that the Father's will be taken from him. It's not going to be taken. He's going to sweat drops of blood. He's going to be forcibly taken. He's going to be humiliated publicly in a trial. He's going to be crucified and left dead. I mean, that seems like a pretty losing week in most people's estimation. And yet Jesus gives us a small little picture here to remind us that in the reality of the spiritual realm, in the reality of what was being accomplished, he was king. He was ruling more then than he had nearly at any other time in his ministry. So to get at this and to remember that King Jesus is here, this is just one, I think, of a few instances. I'm going to use three animals to help us remember and to think on the kingship of Jesus as we enter Holy Week. So this sermon or this teaching, this consideration this morning, I think we could call it this. The donkey, the lamb, and a white horse. The donkey, the lamb, and the white horse. It's like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, except totally different. A donkey, a lamb, and a white horse. We've been given, and it's pretty straightforward where we begin, we begin here with a donkey. So of the symbols, in addition to the palms, which are the children demonstrated for us, and which we remember on this day, it's where the namesake comes from, perhaps the other symbol, and maybe even the more dominant symbol in this particular story, is the young donkey that Jesus finds and rides on. Now, John, John's writing is is very, very good and focused on all the biggest picture issues, including who is Jesus and how does his divinity work and what do we owe him in allegiance and what's happening. John is big on the symbolism and the, and the theology behind things that are happening, but he's not very good on details. See, it turns out that Jesus didn't just find a young donkey. He'd sent his disciples ahead to grab one. They legally stole one, snatched it from someone. It's a moment that I remember and I think to myself, being a disciple of Jesus must have been very fun and delightful. This is just one of the times where he tells them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to need a donkey. You're going to find one when you go in there. Just tell the person I need it. And they just walk into town. It seems like it's a stranger, right? They just go up, we need your mule. And then they just walk away, stealing it. This is, a, this is the kind of thing, a kind of mission that if I was Jesus, I would have given them constantly for no reason. Like tomorrow morning, 4 a.m., go to the pond. There'll be two frogs. One will jump to the left. Say to the other one, jump to the right. He will jump. Come back and report to me. I would say this stuff all the time. And it happened because, of course, Jesus is in control. He's the king of the world. So there's details, of course, behind this entire thing where Jesus knew what was going to take place. It doesn't happen by happenstance. It's one of the things that we should learn about this particular instance. And the young donkey itself was anything but happenstance. Jesus finds this donkey because he knows that there's going to be a large crowd gathered, a crowd that has been gathered because they heard about the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus was a part of a prominent family in a small town outside of Jerusalem. The word of his death and then his coming back to life him being raised from the dead, had traveled far. And in the big city, in Jerusalem, not only those who were in Jerusalem was this a, a known miracle and something that would have inspired awe, but then this particular week, it is said that Jerusalem itself swelled by up to six times its population. 
in preparation for the Passover. It's possible that there were between one and two million people bustling around in and out of Jerusalem in this day and age. And Jesus goes in to enter, and he knows that he's done miracles, and he knows that a large crowd is going to be there. And as he comes, they line the streets, and they take branches of palm trees, the palm branch. They didn't just make up the symbolism. In many ways, they would have grabbed palm branches the same way that we did in unison or in solidarity with their ancestors. For hundreds of years up to this point, a palm branch had been a symbol of victory and of peace. In fact, in a moment of peace, when rebels, when rebels in Israel's history had taken back some control, they were living in a foreign land under Roman rule, and when rebels had taken back control at different moments and they were able to print and to mint money, for instance, in that world, one of the things that was on coins were palm branches. It was a symbol that they had won that there was peace now. And they, these crowds took to the streets and they took the palm branches that would have been symbolic already and they went out into the street and then they borrowed from the Psalms a songbook proclaiming Messiah and they began this procession. So Jesus knew this was coming. He knew that they would be there. He knew that they would understand the symbolism. And in response to this, he grabs a donkey. In response to this, he says, prepare, I need to make an entrance. I need to show up. But I need to show up in a particular way to remind them of some things. And so, in the same way that there's going to be three animals, a donkey, a lamb, and a white horse. I believe that these give us a picture and they help us on this beginning of Holy Week to think about some of the aspects of Jesus' kingship. So I'm going to use them to, to think about the way that Jesus moves and works in the world. And the first thing that we see in this donkey, when Jesus thinks to himself, I know the crowds will be there and I know I've done the miracles, and they're going to borrow from the Psalms, they're going to be waving palm branches. They're going to want to make me king. This has happened before, back in John chapter 6. They tried to forcibly take him and make him king. They're going to try to make me king, and so how do I show them what I'm like? And so in humility, Jesus says, grab a donkey. Now this donkey, this young mule, as it's described at different points in the Gospels, would have been a very tiny animal, not a dignified way for someone to ride in in a processional. I read in one commentary that these animals were likely so small that a grown man would have had to buckle up his knees to sit on it. This would have been a symbol of someone getting and being low. And the funny thing about Jesus riding this donkey is that not only is it symbolically or theologically or spiritually accurate, it was physically accurate. He got as low as you could get to get in a processional, had to hike up his knees to ride into town. This was not only a way to show his humility, but to fulfill prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9 had taught the people of Israel to look for a king who would be like this. 
Zechariah chapter 9 says this, starting in verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah goes on to say that at a certain point, this Messiah is going to cut off the war horses of the world, the pride of the world, the strength of the world, and he is going to speak peace to the nations. That one day he will rule the whole world. So all of these things are coming together. The entirety of Jesus' life, the wonder and the miracle of the incarnation, his perfect righteous life, his powerful, miraculous ministry is going to lead up to his sacrificial death in Jerusalem. But as he goes in, there is a prophecy to fulfill and a reminder to give to the people in Israel. The reminder was this, that the kingdom that they sought and the king that they desired, they were going to receive in a very different way than they might have thought. Jesus reminds them in that moment and reminds us as we recall and think back that the kingdom of Jesus is upside down. The kingdom of Jesus is not built on vengeful, resentful, taking things back. He doesn't win in that way. It doesn't take worldly power to overcome worldly power. That when Jesus said that the first will be last and the last will be first, he meant it. When Jesus instructed his disciples and told them that what you ought to seek to do is to get low because those who are low will be exalted. When scripture tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, these are not platitudes. They are the very fabric of Jesus' life. They are the way that he ushered in the kingdom. When true power comes, when true influence is revealed, when God's people reign and when the kingdom comes, it will be marked by humility. That's what Jesus is showing in as much of a demonstration as he possibly can. In an interesting way here, the people do what they're supposed to do and Jesus does what he's supposed to do and that's why it's such a wonderful picture as he enters Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 9 said, here's what you should do. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So whether they knew it or not, it's like the people go and they say, oh, we have a part to play in this prophecy. We need to get as loud as we can, sort of opposite of the kids. But you know how it is. You can't tell the kids, hey, when you come in, be really loud. That's just mean to the teachers for afterward. But they did what they were supposed to do. They said, we threw a huge party. We got the palm branches. We rejoiced greatly. We shouted aloud. And then Jesus fulfilled the part that he's supposed to play, which is to remind everyone that no matter how much they wanted peace, no matter how much they wanted power, that they were not going to get it the way that they wanted to get it. He was going to come in humble and mounted on a donkey. Now, the interesting thing about this particular moment, it was, that his, it was his humility and it was his lowliness in that act and in those measures that drove the Pharisees and the Sadducees so crazy. 
commenter named Rush Dooney mentioned the, the irony of nearly the entirety of Holy Week is to ask questions about who knew what and how did they respond by, uh, to what they knew. One of the things that he mentioned here is that at the beginning of Holy Week, the demonstration of Jesus and his power is given to us not even so much from God's mouth, but from his enemies. And the direct quote was, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they understood the purpose of Jesus better than his own disciples did. And then this tagline, which I think is also true, and they hated it with all of their being. They saw Jesus as a humble king, able to rule with the crowds going after him, the world's gone after him. And they plotted. The interesting thing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees is they actually had been plotting a sort of double murder. The chapter previous, in John chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus was difficult to deny. It's hard to undercut the ministry of Jesus when there is a formerly dead man, now live, walking around in the world. And all of his disciples, all of the witnesses, that's why John 12 tells us that all of those who had witnessed it continued to bear witness. The Pharisees and the Sadducees actually hated this ministry and hated Jesus and his humility and hated the evidence of miracles and resurrection from the dead so much they were actually plotting a double murder. How do we make this stop? Of course, we know that despite all of the worldly losing that was going to take place in this particular week, that Jesus is actually a king and a victor more than he would ever, had ever been. He was closer to being crowned rightfully than he had been at any other time. But we must hold on to and, rem and remember that the kingship of Jesus and the way that we operate in the world and the way that he takes power and the way that he calls us to come alongside is humility. The impulse in us to get big, to get loud, and to get powerful and to take by force, Jesus shows us on Palm Sunday that there's, a, there's an alternate way, there's a humble way. And so today, on Palm Sunday, at the beginning of Holy Week, we remember Jesus and his humility by the donkey. But that's not the only picture that we get. One of the things about this crowd, as we mentioned, is, well, what did they know? And who was in it? And how mixed was it? And the disciples did not understand, but it seemed like the crowd understood to some way, and the Pharisees understood even more. But we, of course, have the privilege of living on the other side of the resurrection, the other side of the death of Jesus, and so we can see more fully what was being accomplished. I'm going to go all the way forward in John's writing to get this next picture, to remind us and to show us what Jesus was accomplishing in this week. I'm going to go all the way forward in John's writing, but we're going to skate way past even the, bent, the end of this gospel, and we're going to go to the book of Revelation. John is old. He has been persecuted. He has been exiled. But he continues to write, and he receives a revelation. It's an aptly named book. He receives a revelation. And so in John chapter 12, when it says that the crowds are crying out and they're mentioning Scripture and they're fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah, Jesus clearly knew what he was doing. He was offering himself in humility to show this kingship. It says in John chapter 12 that later, when the Spirit of God come, that later they would understand and see what was happening. And that brings us to the second 
picture. We remember Jesus and his kingship not only in humility, represented by the donkey, but also in sacrifice, represented by a lamb. Let's read this picture that John gets of heaven, Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Verse 9 of Revelation 7, the same John gets a picture of King Jesus. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What the Pharisees saw and what they feared that the world had gone after him comes true to fruition. Jesus humbles himself on a donkey so that he can sacrifice himself as a lamb. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God, given over, sacrificed, blood shed for the penalty of sin. So I made a big deal, and I believe that Jesus makes a big deal, and Scripture makes a big deal, that he was not going to bring in the kingdom in the way that they thought. He didn't come with swords. He didn't come with brand new battle tactics. He didn't come with super soldiers. He laid down arms. He rode on a donkey. But that should not make us think or not lead us to the assumption that somehow this is a kingdom that was not won, or that was not earned, or that was not purchased. No, Jesus purchases the kingdom, but he does so through sacrificing himself. And when he takes up residence in heaven, and when the scene of Palm Sunday is reenacted in many ways, This crowd in Jerusalem gathered around the makeshift nature of the crowd in Jerusalem with all of the very dusty rocks and the hurried grabbing of whatever branches are around is now pictured by John as a permanent, glorious, wonderful setup in heaven. The humble king riding the donkey has become the lamb at the center of a palm branch waving ceremony that cries out with loud voices, you have saved. Salvation belongs to you. Now, a lot of times when we get through Palm Sunday, I think there's really three big symbols or three big things people always talk about. There's three ingredients. How do you make, like making lemonade? You need a little sweetness. You need some lemon. You probably need some water usually three ingredients to a Palm Sunday. We've mentioned a couple of them already. The kids came down with a palm branch. Well, what does that mean? And it's here. We talked about the donkey as a representation of Jesus and his kingship and what it's going to be like. But the third one we haven't talked about yet, and that is this phrase that they cry out. Hosanna. 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 
It's an interesting word to cry out. It's been mentioned that, um, that this word is really a, a sticking together of two different Hebrew words. It more or less means save or save us. That would have been the way that it was used in practice. Save us. So they wanted their king. They're lined up. They got the palm branches. These are their victory symbols. They're looking down the corridor, and there comes the man hitched up with his knees on a tiny little donkey in humility. They're still crying out, essentially, save us. They wanted deliverance. So that's what it came to mean in practice. But the two Hebrew words, as they're smashed together, I, I like the way that it is described. It, what comes to mean save us really means make safe, we beg. An interesting way to cry that out. Make safe, we beg. We beg you, all of our problems, all the things that are going around here, would you put them in order? Would you cover over the sharp edges? Would you bind up our wounds? Would you tear down our enemies and shut them up? Make safe, we beg you. That's what they're crying out in the moment at the beginning of Holy Week. And by Revelation 7, they're crying out, our God has made safe. Our God has saved. Our God now has sacrificed and sits on a throne. He has brought order to the world. He has silenced the enemies. He has gathered up people from all nations. I'd want to go back to the Pharisees. And in their anger and in their conversations with one another, I love that John, I wonder if he was standing around or if he had a mole on the inside of the Pharisees and how he knows their, their conversations. One says to another, none of this is working. Whatever your plan was with Jesus, clearly it's not going well. He knows that they're, they're murmurs, and I would have just loved a snarky little moment if I could have stood by them and one says to the other, the world has gone after him. I wish I could have said something like, oh, you, you, you have no idea. You've seen nothing yet. You, should, you wait till there's languages that you've never heard before. You wait till there's people from every single place. This is a tiny processional compared to what's happening. Buckle up, Pharisees. The other thing that's interesting is that the, the Sadducees were those who did not believe in a miraculous resurrection from the dead. That was the thing that marked them, the main principle that made them as a, a sect sort of separated from the Pharisees. I have to make the pun every single time. The Sadducees did not believe in the possibility of resurrection from the dead, which is why they were so sad, you see. Okay, I did it. I feel an obligation. So what we see here, what do we remember about the kingship of Jesus? Well, just because he was humble and rode in a donkey does not mean that he was not purchasing a kingdom. It does not mean that what the Pharisees feared wouldn't come to pass. In fact, John is given a vision. He's received the grace that he mentions in John chapter 12, the grace and the Spirit of God to see and to realize the truth regarding Jesus. It's the glory of the message of the gospel to consider Holy Week and to revel in things that don't seem all that exciting. But we revel in these things because we know the true reality, the spiritual reality of what was taking place. We knew the nature and the character of Jesus that was being revealed. It's funny, I was thinking about, you know, ways we could invite people to, to church, and if they ask the most basic of questions, well, what's Palm Sunday about? 
Oh, it marks the beginning of when Jesus came in riding on a tiny little humbled mule. And he was going to be killed. No, okay, well, they just come back on Good Friday. Well, what's Good Friday? Well, that's, that's when we remember that. Oh, oh, yeah, he was crucified. He died. Now, Easter Sunday, I can do a little bit better. I can tell people that he rose from the dead. But for a lot of these things, what we cling to and what we have to remember is that it's not what we see. It's not the circumstances that are being described as much as it is the person who is in the middle of all that is happening. Jesus is a humble king, and he offers himself as a sacrifice. He is a sacrificial king. He shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven, and he takes up his rightful place, having been made the savior of all who would come to him. And he rules and reigns as a lamb forever. So we've gone through two animals. We have a young donkey, represents the humility of Jesus and his kingship. We have a lamb, represents the sacrifice of Jesus and the kingdom that he earned, the people that were purchased by his blood. I promised a third animal. I said there was the young donkey and there was the sacrificial lamb, and now there will be a white horse. The thing about all that we celebrate is that it reminds us that these are mere pictures of things that are going to be revealed in more fullness later. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is humble, and he tells us this. He comes bringing peace, which is why he's riding the young donkey, and he is sacrificial. He sheds his blood and dies, which is a good reminder that he is a king who is forgiving and merciful. But we also have a picture of King Jesus on a white horse. And what we recall is that one day there will be another kind of processional, another coming of a king. And this time when the king comes, he will be more like what those in Jerusalem probably wished he was back then. In this day and age, in this time... Those in Jerusalem, they had hoped that Jesus would come with all power and might to vanquish every enemy, and it didn't quite happen that way. But that day is coming. There will be another kind of Palm Sunday that will be very different than the one that we just read. It's another vision of John in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 we get another reminder of the kind of king that Jesus is. And it tells us that in the future there is another day coming. And this is what's going to happen in that day in the future. In Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, it tells us this. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, by, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty." 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In coming to this earth, in setting aside all that could have been grasped in divinity, in living in humility and in service, in giving himself as a ransom, dying sacrificially, in all of that, Jesus not for one moment gave up his rightful place as a powerful, righteous judge of the world. So the picture that we get of Jesus in fullness gives us a reminder as we start this week that though things will get chaotic and though there will be a lot of loss, none of it diminishes the glory and the power of our King. The question for us becomes, what do we know concerning him? Are we chastened in our pride by his humility? Are we receiving the full benefit of his sacrifice? Are we humbling ourselves and bowing before the power and the purity of his judgment? We have a king. We have someone who has gone before us, who has made a path, who has overcome, who has created a kind of righteousness and a kind of living and a kind of peace that the world has longed for, longed for from the beginning. And it's this Jesus, in all of his fullness, in every picture, in every single way, that is to be worshipped by us as king. And so, somehow, in some way, we remember Jesus in humility, and we remember him in sacrifice, and we remember him in judgment. And if you've been given the Spirit of God, these things are all wonderful gifts to you. Over the next number of days, we're going to spend time contemplating, and I want to invite you to spend time contemplating. What do you really want in the world? Who is ruling your life? What does the message of the gospel and Jesus and what he's accomplished, what does that mean to me? How do I see him? Perhaps the biggest wonder of Palm Sunday as we read it in John 12 is to just ask questions about how everyone sees Jesus. How did he see himself? How did the disciples see him? How did the crowd see him? How did the Pharisees see him? And my desire and my prayer for you and for me and for us in these days, the next number of days and gathering on Good Friday and coming together on Easter Sunday morning is that we're given the Spirit of God to see Jesus in his fullness. Not diminished, not small, but fully capable 
of saving us, of making safe. And I'm asking and I'm going to pray with you in a moment that the Spirit of God gives us a desire for Him that is more clear, more direct, and more real than it's ever been. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for pictures, for illustrations, for ways that you remind us and show us who you are. And I pray that these pictures we've been given, Scripture full of colorful illustrations, I pray that they would remind us of our needing be saved. They would remind us the desperation of our situation. And more than that, I pray that Jesus would come into full view this week. God, I ask for anyone here who is desiring, deeply longing, that they would cry out, we beg. God, I pray for those who are at a place of desperation, who desire you to rule and for them to see it more fully in their lives. God, I pray that you would come in power and in might this week. Answer prayers. Move to bring order to chaos. Open doors that have seemed shut. Soften hearts. Rid us of all of our maladies. God, I pray for those of us who are skating along in life, who can't be bothered to look at King Jesus because we feel like we're doing a good job. The Spirit of God, humble us. Open our eyes. Give us understanding. We don't want to be like the disciples who did not understand these things. God, would you please not let us just go through the motions this week? We want to see Jesus in all of his glory. We ask it in his name. Amen.